a listener production. Okay, are you recording? Greetings all. Welcome along to episode 122 of the Howie Games, part A, starring a true great of Australian boxing, Jeff Fenning. The only thing that's getting Jeff Fenning tired is throwing punches. He's hitting Fayette around at will now. The tie, the tie boxer is down. He's out. He's finished. It's over. Fenning is the winner. Fenning is the world champion. Part boxing story, part philosophical look at life, this episode covers all sorts. From what it takes to step into the ring, a contender, and step out of the ring, a world champion, to boxing rorts, busted hands, Azuma Nelson, a near-death experience, spreading the love, and Mike Tyson's tiger. This next part, Darce has made me include because he thinks it's hilarious. I'd never met Jeff before. He didn't know me from a bar of soap, as the expression goes. Why would he? As you're about to hear. Pleasure, my friend, Huey. Can't wait. Sorry, mate, it's Howie, too, just to let you know. Howie, sorry, Howie. No, no, you don't need to apologise. I've been punching the head, mate, I'm right. Old Huey. Darce thinks it's hilarious. He reckons the show should now be called the Huey Games. Anyway, after we got the name situation sorted out, Jeff could not have been friendlier. It's a really cool episode. So you search and try to find But you don't know where to go So many thoughts flood through your mind you confuse and want to know Mystery, what is to be So much more than meets the eye Listen to me, time is your key You will find out by and by Now, just before we get rolling, earlier this week we dropped Howie Hotline number six. If you haven't already heard one of the Hotline episodes, go check it out. It's basically your questions. We try our best to answer them. It's a bit of fun. Hotline six also, for the first time, details how you can ask a question to one of our upcoming guests, which is a cool idea. It was actually one of our listeners' ideas. So check it out on Howie Hotline 6. Sweet. Okay, let's get into the story of the Marrickville Mauler, who these days just wants to spread the love. Jeff Fenwick. Enjoy. So when you search and then you find And know just where to go And thoughts that once used to cloud your mind You see clearly and now you know Mystery, what is to be revealed King Selassie, come on children, tread with me, we want to reach Mount Zion. Welcome to the Howie Games, a multiple world champion, a much-loved figure in Australian and world sport. Everyone my age can remember this man slugging it out in the ring in some classic fights. It is a great treat to welcome him to the Howie Games. Jeff Fennick, welcome to the show. Jeff, how are you going? I'm going great, thank you very much. Great to be here with you. Hey, great to be on with you. Your player profile last week, I listened back to it, it fascinated me. Before we get too far into it, you just explain how grateful you were to the Australian public who has loved you year after year. What does the support of the Australian public over the years mean to you, Jeff? And it's great to see you. Yeah, who would I be without it? I mean, and there have been multiple sports people who have, you know, done things, but um, I just realised that, yeah, without doubt, um, if it wasn't for the people, who are you? You know, but if you, if you don't have a support base, if you don't have a fan base... If you don't have people who, who love what you're doing, um, then nobody knows you. I was blessed that I am, um, yeah, I brought 110% of every day to, to what I've done. I trained as hard as I could to be the best I could. And um, with that, I've got an amazing fan base. And I got, um, you know, I was famous for saying I love you all. I, you know, I love, I love that I said that because that's how I feel about the Australian public. That's how I feel about all my supporters. And um, 
you know, at this stage of my life, I'm just, I'm blessed to be able to still be here and, and, and give back and let people know that without them that I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be seeing this beautiful home if it wasn't for the people who paid to watch me fight. What does giving back mean to you? It's also something you mentioned last week that y- your view on life has turned around a bit. Yeah, I like to think that um, at every opportunity I get that I see somebody that mightn't have what I have or the opportunity to have what I have, I'd like to change their life. So when I, every night when I go to a restaurant, if I see somebody drinking something that, that I think that I've got better, I'll send them a bottle of mine. I've, you know, I've, got, um, I've got an amazing wine cellar, I've got an amazing... Um, yeah, then all the restaurants I go to have my own wine that I leave there, and uh, yeah, I love to I love to make people happy. And when I leave, um, yeah, I've made look, I've made friends because of who I am, of course. But I want them to think that wow, this guy is the real deal. He's not stuck up. He'll like I said, I'll sit there and talk to anybody, um, take a photo with anybody. None of that stuff bothers me because, like I said, uh, without without the people, who would I be? Nobody. I wouldn't I wouldn't be known. So, um, yeah, so I, I try really working hard on that. Not working hard. That's just me. But I do it every day. And every opportunity I get, if somebody stopped me and wanted a photo or wanted me to do anything for them, I would do it at a, at a, at a heartbeat because, like I said, who am I without the people? So you're telling me you go out to dinner every night and you have your own wine at the restaurant. What? No time for modesty now. What do you see on someone's face when Jeff Fenwick says, oh, he sent you over this bottle of wine, he thought you might enjoy it? Yeah, I see. It's not even exciting. I think at first I said, wow, you know, Jeff Fenwick's for this. Like I said, um, I'll call people to sit with us and, and drink with us and if we, if we get there early and they haven't eaten, I'll join them to eat with us. And, of course, I'll pay the bill. I love that. I just just think that it's, for me it's an amazing opportunity to, to, say, to say thank you. And for me <laughs> it's not... That I'm trying to buy brandy points, it's just that I love to do it because I know when those guys go, they're going to talk, not because they're going to talk highly about me, but they're going to say they enjoyed something with Jeff and I, I don't know, I just love it. I love going home with my wife and then the next time you see these guys, it's yeah, hello and they you know, yeah, because I, I go to the, I, I'm, I don't go too far out of the vicinity of where I live. I go um, around Five Dock and Haberfield and there, there's some beautiful restaurants there and um, I love it. So I, I, I'm a, a man that doesn't really travel too far. I love the positive. This podcast always aims to be, Jeff, a really positive show, so it's a great theme we've kicked off on. You mentioned I love yous all. Now, I've in the last 24 hours been back delving into YouTube and looking at your fights and reading about you, which we can talk about. The first time I can see it mentioned anywhere is when you fought the Thai chap for the super bantamweight world title, Payakaroon. Do you know when you first said it? Because I couldn't find you saying it, but I read reference to it at about that time. I think that was the first time. It was just, it was my second world title. It was a full house at the entertainment centre and I'd just become the first Aussie to ever be two-time world champion. I know, I was overwhelmed, but I just, yeah, I just wanted to let the people know that that I loved them. And, um, yeah, it's now... Pretty, um, it's a pretty well, you hear a lot of people say these days, I love you all after a footy game, yeah. some players. But yeah, but I'm, I'm pretty proud to say that I said that and I mean it and to this day I still mean it and I, I love the thought that I said it. My book was named I Love You's All and um, I, I do. How often do people come up to you in the street and quote it back to you? I would imagine reasonably regularly. Yeah, no, lots of times, yeah, everywhere I go, especially... And like I said, my wife and I, we don't go out, to, we don't go clubbing and stuff and past all that stuff. But, yeah, if I'm at a footy game or I'm there where a lot of people are and, you know, 
people have watched me, they all always bring it up. What a what a wonderful, warm celebration of who you are to people, isn't it? Like it's just a really cool, positive thing. I, I love you. I love you. I love every one of you. I love you all. Yeah, well, and like I said, um, it's, it's really hard because, you know, after that second world title, then I won the third world title. And I tell everybody this, um, Howie, that, um, you know, when everybody says, oh, I still remember I'm from Maryville, I haven't changed. That's bullshit. You know, we all change. Fame and fortune changes us all. Yeah. And if I go back, if I turn the clock back to that guy who was three-time world champion and then the guy who went to America and fought Azuma Nelson and I got in the draw, I don't even like him. I don't even like the guy that I was. I got, I got although, like I said, although I, to the media, I said I was the same guy and I never forgot where I come from. No, I changed automatic. You know, I, of course, I, be, I became a big head and um, thought that, yeah, yeah, you think that you're bigger and better than other people. And like I said, um, I don't know. If that's another reason why I want to be who I am today, but I don't, I don't like that guy who I was back then. You know, I could walk into a restaurant, get a get a yeah, people give me food for nothing. I get into a taxi, they don't charge me. I go and do things, I get everything for nothing. Yet I, I look out there and I see the, the the poor people, the poverty who can't even afford to eat. But these guys in the restaurant don't give them anything, but they give them to the rich people. So yeah. when I sit down and I weigh up everything today, I yeah, I'm, I'm more happier with who I am today than when I was that undefeated world champion. I don't like that person. So we'll get back to where it all started, but the great thing about podcasts, Jeff, is you can just have a, a conversation with whatever you're talking about. So tell me, at the height of your fame, give me examples of what life was like for Jeff Fennick out and about day in, day out. The people you're mixing with, the experiences you're having and how it can... I don't know how anyone can stay the same when people are blowing smoke up you, for want of a better term, the whole time. I'd go out... Twenty any club in the city never had to pay for nothing. Everything was like you know, free drinks, women. You know, whenever I wanted, and you know, which again I'm not I'm not the proudest person to say. But like I said, um, I know it's one of those things that you you don't you don't get taught how to handle fame and fortune. You know, people. Mm-hmm. They, they, although we're starting today and we're we're learning a lot more in the last few years to to get used to this stuff. But as a first grade rugby league player, as a you know, world champion boxer, you'd go out and you'd, everything was for nothing. You know, you just had everything you wanted. And um, I don't know, if, um, although it's an amazing experience at the time, but when I, I think back of it now and I look at what 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 it causes and some of the stuff that I did, um, I'm not real proud. And like I said, today I've got two daughters and um, if um, that Jeff Fennick who I knew was going near my daughters, I'd, I'd break his neck, you know. So, yeah. But like I said, it's just a part of life and it's, for me it's a, an amazing learning experience that, that I love to share with people because I, I tell people, even with my children, I say, I'm not stupid. You think when my kids tell me they're going somewhere, I believe them? I mean, listen, how many times did you tell your mum and dad I'm, I'm going down to Jack, yeah. Jack's house? We were never there. We were, we were doing something else. So I, I try to emphasise to people today is as much as we love our kids and stuff, we need to check up on them. When they say they're doing something, don't, it doesn't mean anything. Just go and check. Make sure because, like I said, um, the most important lesson I learned in life is um, we are who we mix with. How, you know, if, I mean, I, I mix with people and people automatically, ah, oh, 
He does drugs. He, I've never had a drug. I've never had a smoke in my life. I've never had a coffee in my life. But people automatically think that because I mixed with people who who did them or, or, or sold them that that I was one of those people. That's definitely not me. And um, like I said, the people who did them never done them around me because I'm so anti-drugs and whatever else they done. Like I said, I don't care what people do behind my back or when I'm not with them. But with it, when they're with me, I, I prefer them. They respect me and um, live just by the by the rules that I do. And like I said, I've never done a drug. I've never had a drug and. I am. That's just the way I am. So you and me might be the only two blokes in Australia that have never had a coffee then. I've never had a coffee in my life. I've never met anyone that's like that before. I hate the smell of it. Even when my wife drinks, I don't want to kiss her. In the morning when they when I walk downstairs and I smell that my daughter and they have made a coffee, I can open the door. I hate it, yeah. Having a chat with you and not knowing each other, we I don't think we've ever met before. I might have interviewed you a couple of times on the radio. You seem in a really reflective position in your life. Is it tied into what happened to you with your health scare recently? It's, it's not just my health scare, but there's a lot of things because I think that um, I believe that I'm a person who can help a lot of different people because I've been there and I've done it all. I've been, like I said, I've travelled with, with Mr Packer. I've been with Mike Tyson. I've been in trouble. I've been kicked in the backside. I've been accused of things I haven't even, been, haven't even done. So I've, I really know how the world operates. And I, you don't need to have a you know um, a university degree to do that. I'm I'm very very street smart, and I just know that um, mm. we have a lot of choices, you know. And um, there are there are plenty of times I didn't make the right choice. But there are plenty of times I did. So I like to share um, with people um, the insight that making the right choice is always going to be the, the 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 best result for you. Yeah, I'm um, I've got what I've got. I didn't get it for nothing. I worked my backside off every morning, rain, hail, or shine. I ran every day. And then all of a sudden I became this rich and famous kid and um, I really forgot about the hard work. I forgot that, that track that took me there and I fell off the rails for a while. And, you know, we don't need to do that. We just need to be around good people. And then if you're around good people, good things happen. So I'm, I'm really, really positive that if, 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 if anybody can spread anything about people not getting in trouble, it's, it's about... The people you mix with. I mean, if you mix with good people, you don't get in trouble. It's as simple as that. If you mix with people that uh, that are that are envious and jealous of what you've done, yeah, they'll, they'll take you out, want you to have a drink, so they can obviously run off your name and do other things, and then mm. it leads to trouble. And I've done that all my life. I said, um, all the people who I've paid and helped buy for houses for and cars for. We don't talk anymore, but the people that I'm mix, mixed with today, the Mark, the Mark Borises and the other guys, man, I've got such a great life and I only wish that I could have done that earlier, but no, you can't change anything. That's what I said, you can't change anything. So you just got to live and learn with experiences and hopefully teach people to be better as well. When you're talking about buying cars and houses for people, so you were in that boxing world where, where money was coming in, were you someone that was just handing it straight back out? Oh, definitely so. I, yes, yeah. I spent... Wow, I couldn't tell you how much I spent because you know, and wasted and gambled and took people overseas with me and paid for everything and, like I said, brought cars for people and put deposits on properties and helped people in them. Um, yeah, I'm I, and I, I I'm so happy that I done that, but um, I don't speak to them today and I, I'm 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 more than happy with that as well. Or else I'd, I'd still be spending money on them because that's that's what they're used to. Why do you reckon, Jeff, that it's such a familiar refrain in boxing that? From the outside looking in, I don't understand the industry and I want to talk to you about it, but why does the athlete often get taken so badly advantage of? You're, you're describing what's happening here. You haven't used those words, but you look at your mate Mike Tyson. Like, boxing is littered with these stories. Well, why does it happen? Pretty simple because, um, like I said, 
We don't, you don't get taught um, how to manage your money and your fame and fortune. And what you think is, well, I've had nothing. It's not going to stop because once you start getting it, you think it's never going to stop. And you want to help all the people that are around you that you know were less fortunate or in, the, in a similar position as you. And um, like I said, um, like, oh, well, uh, I, I don't even want to mention names, but some of the most amazing or people who were in my life and that I thought made my life have been the greatest disappointments to, in my life ever. Um, and like I said, I don't need to tell you those stories here, but, yeah, mm. I've wa- I mean, man, I've wasted millions of dollars. I mean millions, you know, on gambling and travelling and taking people with me and, like I said, doing what I said and, yeah, yeah, and on on paying for lawyers, for people that, that got me in trouble and, I'm and, you know, and I'm paying for them as well as me because I'm now involved in this stuff. But like I said, um. It's something that I'm, I'm not proud of today because, like I said, um, no. yeah, I used to always think that loyalty was this really, really special thing. And I'll tell you, this is something that I, that I do in a lot of my speeches. I tell this, my best friend in my world, in the world, when I was growing up, could only be a mate. How could anybody else be your best friend? But, you know, when I see people say, oh, my wife's my best friend. I'm like, I just think you guys are mental. How can a female be your best friend? My wife's my best friend that I've ever had. She's the most, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, she's... She's been with me through thick and thin. Well, like, I'll give you a, a great little story. When I got married, James Packer and the boys at my wedding had a, a board up and the board had three months, six months and nine months prior to me getting divorced. This year's 25 years. Yeah, they, were, they had odds. They had odds. There was no, there was no, no longer than nine months. And, um, and like I said, um, it's 25 years this year. And um, like my, my, my wife deserves a, a medal for it, but I'm saying, like I said, she's been through everything with me and, um, you know, the guys who I thought... They're the guys who got me in trouble and they're the guys who, who never supported me and have turned their back on me whenever I needed them. So on your wife, I enjoy a good love story. What is it about Suze that I met as we were uh, setting this up? What is it about your wife that you love? Everything. <laughs> no, like, just like I said, um, she's the best mum. I mean, she's, you know, we, we, have, we have a lot of fights, about, partly about my kids because I try to make her not be as... Soft to them, she yeah, you know, she makes their bed, she cooks, she yeah, she walks their dogs, she feeds their dogs, she yeah, you know she that's just the way she is. That's, that's it. she was brought up, and uh, I love her for it. But like I said, sometimes I believe that my children take advantage of her too much, and I fire them. Like I said, she's just um, she's special. She's yeah, she's yeah, she's my rock. She's, yeah, she's very very special to me. Back to Jeff in a moment. Next up on the show, a man generally considered one of the top five golfers of all time. His name is Mr. Gary Player, and it is a true honour to have him on the show. Gary is 85, going on 26. He doesn't stop moving, doesn't stop talking, sharing, or laughing. So, Gaza, I looked at some of the tournaments, and this is a long time ago, so you may not remember this, but I would love to know what this was like. It says that you were the winner of the 1955 Egyptian match play. Now, I would love to know what golf was and the setup was in 1955 in Egypt. Where was that? It was at, at the Gazira Sporting Club, one of the most fabulous setups you've ever seen anywhere in the world today. They had really? all the badminton, they had the tennis, they had this, they flooded the golf course from the Nile every night, so it was in perfect shape. And they had so many good golfers. I remember the names Hassan Hassanayan and, and, all, and all these fellas that could really play. And I met Harold Henning of South Africa in the final. And I won 300 pounds. I thought I was rich. 
Taylor, strike me pink, man. I want to tell you something. Please do. I'm, I'm making, I never made more than 30 pounds a month in my life. Now I win 300 in one week. Wow, my goodness me. I, I was loaded. And it uh, took three months to get paid, however. It's like the old story, the checks in the mail, you know. <laughs> if you want a bit of inspiration in your day, then do not miss Mr. Player next week. Alrighty, let's get back to Jeff. So, mate, what we're going to get to boxing and where it started, but this is an interesting conversation. What happened in Thailand? And I should have said at the start, it's so great to see you happy and healthy because all we saw, all I saw was the news. And it was like, oh, Jeff Fenix crook. And then it was sort of the next night, oh, no, Jeff Fenix really crook. And I started to think, wow, this is obviously a serious story. If you don't mind talking about it, as I said, it's wonderful to see you fighting fit. Now, what happened, mate? Yeah, I was in Bangkok. I, I was sick and um, progressively I got worse and worse and I just am um, being the fighter that I am and being that stubborn guy that I am. And I still went to the gym every day with the boys. I woke up and trained the boys, but I was getting really, really weak and progressively I got really weak. And the last night, damn, after the boys, of course, I went to the gym, all the boys trained, they sparred, i done what I had to do, my, my job looking after the boys. And, and I started to walk back to the hotel and... Um, it was like maybe 4.35. I said to the boys, listen, I'm not going to come to dinner with you guys. I'm not feeling well. I'll just go to bed. And a couple of the boys were thinking, well, that I wasn't, that I was, that I wasn't well. They, they could, uh, they said they could see my shirt. My heart was pumping and I was, you know, um, losing my breath a lot while I was talking to the boys during the rounds. And, um, we went, the, the boys were going to dinner because we have dinner every night together. And they just knocked on my door to, Say, Jeff, you sure you don't want to come? And one of them, the boys looked at me and I said, look, I'm not coming. They tried to tell me to go with them. And, I, and they then they started to tell me, Jeff, let us get, get you to the hospital. Let's get a doctor. And I said, look, I'm going to be all right. Just let me go to bed. I'll wake up in the morning and see you guys. Well, thank God. Thank you, ever. Thank my beautiful friends that without me knowing, they went straight because they must have seen how sick I was. They went straight <laughs> and uh, got an ambulance. Uh, prior to them leaving, I swear, and I'm telling them to leave because they kept trying to get me to, to take me to the hospital. Um, like I said, God willing and God bless that they, um, I don't know, about uh, an hour later an ambulance arrived and um, had I fallen asleep that night, I, would, I wouldn't have woken up. I was that sick and I would have died. And uh, the ambulance arrived and that's all I really, I don't, look, I, I kind of remember the ambulance coming into my room and that's all I, I remember. I remember then seeing me leave the premises in an ambulance um, on TV and that kind of stuff because it was, you know, um, of course, of who I was, but um, I didn't. I don't remember any of it. And then I remember um, waking up the next day after having emergency surgery. The operation was long and more complex than first thought. But Jeff Fennick has come out the other side of major open heart surgery in Thailand. One of my valves was um, infected. If, if I okay, a photo. If you looked at my my valve, it looked like a chicken nugget, which is, had been burnt in the in the fryer. And um, yeah, and um, well, they had to had, when when they done my surgery, they couldn't even lay me down. I had so much fluid that they had to tie me to a pole upwards and cut me that way. And uh, yeah, because they couldn't Jeez. lay me down. And like I said, they, they, the the surgeon said if I'd fallen asleep that night, if I went to bed, that would have been my last sleep that I had. And when I think of it, my dad died at fifty-seven. So um, yeah, very similar. My dad had plastic valves in his heart. My dad had heart problems all his life. So it was just something that I think was. You know, hereditary. So, um, pretty scary. But like I said, and then um, to go through all that time in in a, in hospital and, and wow, the 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 
craziest thing was the after a couple of days after my surgery, um, I tried to stand up. I couldn't walk, and I'd lost. Yeah, you you can't walk. So they got a they give you a little brace and they put it around you. They teach you to walk again, and it was a. Um, it was a, yeah, a matter of a couple of days before I could walk again. The goal that was set was 75 steps, two days' time, 48 hours after op. His immediate reaction to that was, give me one day. And then me being the crazy lunatic that I am, my, my daughter was getting married and nine days after I had the surgery. His two daughters flew in and made it to his bedside just minutes before he was wheeled into surgery. Of course, as we know, all of this drama means that he will miss the wedding of his eldest. I want, to, I want to be in my daughter's wedding, so I fooled the hospital by walking every day and pretending that I could walk further than I could because I was getting tired. But anyway, I got them, them to put me on a plane on the ninth night. I got a doctor to fly with me. I flew a doctor from the hospital with me just to make sure nothing happened. I got off the plane early in the morning and the, the day of my daughter's wedding, I went straight to... Royal Prince Alfred Hospital, they put me in an emergency, so the ambulance picked me up from the airport. I got taken to hospital, then I um, left hospital about, uh, Mark Boris picked me up at about lunchtime. I went and got dressed, walked my daughter down the aisle early afternoon, and uh, got straight back to hospital that night. And I was in hospital for a few days here to recover and then came back home. Well, I am so glad that you got to your daughter's wedding. I'm so glad you're well. It does... The obvious question, Jeff, does a near-death experience change your perspective? We, so I, I guess we addressed a bit of this at the start, but can you pinpoint that it changed your perspective? No, not really, because like I said, I've always lived um, you know, life to the fullest. Yep. I'm just, um, you know, I'll never forget just recently when I went to see my, my heart surgeon here, the person who looks after me, he's a, an amazing doctor, and um, he uh, said to me, um, this tablet, you can't, you can have a glass of wine, but I'm... I'm I go to the extremes, I'll have two or three or four or five or six. I'll just, yeah, but I train still every day. I'll get up every, every morning and train. But, yeah, like I said, um, I, I look at it this way. I really do. I look at life this way. Um, I think there's a, uh, there's a there's the writing on the wall. When it's your time, it's your time. Uh, I've looked at some of the healthiest guys in the world, Steve Folks riding a bike, you know. God rest his soul and bless his soul. He took a heart attack. Look at Marvin Hagler just recently, just, um, you know, Causes if we don't know, but he was a, the, the healthiest 66-year-old you've ever met. He woke up, or he's, he's now passed away. So, uh, yeah, look, not that I want to die, but um, I'm not going to um, hold back and not, not enjoy my life totally. I'm, I'm just going to yeah, live every day to the fullest. And like I said, every day that I live to the fullest, anybody who's around me is going to share those great times with me. All right, Jeff, where did it start? Where are the Fenics from? Where, where does the Fenic name and family originate from? My parents are from Malta. Right. Yeah, they, my parents arrived to Malta uh, as teenagers and they went through, you know, the Second World War there, they're hiding in, um, you know, shelters and went through all that stuff, my mum and dad, and then they jumped on a boat and they came here, they met. And, uh, I mean, Fennec is a pretty uh, famous name. Well, not famous, but it's a very popular name in Malta. It means rabbit. It's, uh, and and uh, mm-hmm. rabbit in Malta is one of the most... Edible dishes so everywhere you go, so they're eating fennec and um, yeah, they're all fennec stew, fennec this, fennec that. So, bit of fennec pie, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so my parents married, and uh, we first, my, my mum and dad um, lived in Piedmont, and my dad had his first heart attack there, he fell down the stairs. Apparently, he died on the way, he fell at the top mm-hmm. of the stairs and died. And when he hit the bottom, it re, um, restarted his heart. 
So you know, he no. was in his early twenties then, and um, I wasn't born. But um, yeah, then um, yeah, my dad's had a sickness all all my life. I've been in the hospital every, most probably every year. We spent a few months in hospital with my dad. My dad was very sick all his life, and um, and Jeff, were that were they were they that typical sort of fifties, sixties migrants that arrive starting at the bottom of the bottom? Well, my mum was a. Extremely hard work. She worked three jobs because my dad couldn't work. My mum was a cleaner. And, um, yeah, she um, she spoiled us as much as she could. And, um, yeah, we um, I was the youngest of six. So, you know, I was the, the the one who got spoiled the most. I'd say my mum always looked after me and spoiled me a little bit. So, yeah, it was great. If you took one thing, one approach, one value in life from your mum, what would it have been? Uh, just her work ethic. Like I said, my mum would work... Um, Early in the morning, she'd come and send us to school. She'd work during the day and then she'd work in the night. Well, after she'd cook, she'd go and clean. She was a cleaner, so she'd go and clean. And I think um, I, I got my mum and my dad. So let me have both passed away. When my dad when my dad died, um, wow, um, I was I, I said a prayer for him because I my dad was had been sick for so long and he was had to drink more th- morphine for the pain. But my mum, when when my mum um, was passing and they rang me and they said, the hospital said, listen, we're going to have to give your mother something. She's in so much pain. She's lost so much weight that we're going to give her something to not wake up tomorrow. I said, Is that a, no problem, you know. So the next day my mum was still around. The next day she was still around. They they were giving her things but she was so strong and such a determined little lady that, yeah, she it took them days to finally her to pass away, you know, so she was just such a strong lady and such a fighter that I was, yeah, I'm sure I got my my fighting from my mum and dad. My, like I said, my dad was a fighter all his life. He, um, you know, fought heart disease and stuff and my mum, like I said, she was just a, a mother who worked the backside off of six children. So when does Jeff Fennick find boxing or did boxing find Jeff Fennick? At what age? Um, well, I was like 17 or something and I, was, I, was, I played rugby league all my life. I'd... Um, played Matthew Shield, SG Ball when I was 15, SG Ball when I was 16, Jersey Fleet when I was 17. And then I walked into a into a, the Newdown Police Youth Club and we went there because we wanted to have a fight with somebody. We were looking for some other youth that we were going to have a fight with. And we searched the box and we searched the main room where they we played basketball and stuff. Then we went to the uh, to the weightlifting room, then we went to the wrestling room. The last room we had to look in was a boxing room. And as I looked, as I was looking for these people that we wanted to find, um, I seen one of my friends from school who also played football with me and um, he was boxing. So I just sat down to watch him and I heard the trainer say, oh, I'd be great for you to have some boxing. And I straight away heard him and I thought that I could beat the crap out of this guy. I said, I'll box him. And the trainer, have you ever boxed before? I said, no, no, no. Have you? So anyway, I ended up boxing with him and... Um, Although I got my, I got winded and I got the ship beat out of me, which I believe, um, the trainer said, oh, you've got great skills, you should come back. And in my mind, um, Howie, I was thinking, this guy wants me to go back and get bashed up. And I was with some of my friends and I thought, I'm not going to say no in front of him. So I said, I'll be back tomorrow. And then the earnest was on me to go back. If I didn't go back, I thought, oh, they're going to think, ah, Jeff Fennick was scared, you know, and I wasn't that kind yeah. of kid. So I went back and... Yeah, it started from there. I, you know, three months later, I was the state champion, and I was Australian champion. And like I said, with, in, in my um, in my thirteenth or fourteenth fight, I, I came third in the world. In my twenty fifth fight, I was selected to go to the Olympic Games, which is never heard of. It's unheard of, you know. Um, guys who go to the Olympics fight from the age of five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I started at seventeen. I went to the Olympics when I was there nineteen. You know. 
So I'll get to the Olympics. I've got two questions for you on that. Were you extremely naturally talented in the first place to progress that quickly? How much was talent and how much was work ethic? Um, I think I was a born fighter, um, but boxing is a totally different thing to being a fighter. So I had to get – I got taught – the, the the skills, but I am I had that that work ethic. I was like I was the first into the gym, the last out. And I always wanted to do my my trainer proud. I whatever he, whatever he asked me to do, I could do that plus double or triple it. I always showed him that. So I had that that work ethic. And um, like I said, um, I was a fighter, and I had that um, I had that instilled in me. I think I was born with that, and it was just. That I, I found it at the right time. Had I ne- had I never go went to the youth club that day, I never would have boxed because um, I wanted to be a first grade rugby league player. I'm not sure I would have made it because I was so small. Like remember this when I um, won my first world title, I, I, I weighed eight, eight like eight. Um, my first world title, I weighed eight stone six. That's fifty three and a half eight kilos. Six. You know, so you're playing right, and oh. I was playing SG ball. I play against like you know Benny Elias and all those guys. And um, so yeah, I was, although I played and I was competitive, I was like. Half the size, I was the smallest guy. If you looked at me, you, you thought I was the ball boy. <laughs> so what was it, ball boy, that grabbed you about boxing? As a 17-year-old, what took hold of you and inflamed your passion? The first thing that grabbed me without any doubt was Johnny Lewis, my trainer. Um, I instantly um, had this guy who, who was like my dad, who was like my second dad, who was uh, who instilled... This faith, and he would he would say to me, he would say, "Son, do you know what? If you keep working hard in a few months, you know you have a fight. You can be the Australian chair." And every time he he set me a little task and a little goal, it was I, I achieved these goals. And whatever he said, I just believed him. If he would have told me to jump off the Harbour Bridge, you're going to do three something. You, I would have done it immediately. I just everything that he said, I believed. And um, yeah, like I said um it was, and we had this um, unbelievable communication, and um, I had this um, unbelievable respect and love for him. You mentioned the Olympics, so the 1984 Summer Olympics. Let's go live to our Los Angeles studio. And welcome Australia back live from Los Angeles on Network 10. And what a fantastic ceremony that was yesterday. It was uh, something that will live with me for a long time. You are the team boxing captain. We'll get to the quarterfinal in a moment and, and what happened, but what are your memories of the Olympics? Like, you know, were you a wide-eyed kid that walked into the food hall and, you know, there was, well, it was LA, there was Carl Lewis, or, like, was it was it out of control? No, yeah, that happened, but no, I walked in the food hall and thought, excuse me, wow, wouldn't I love to be able to eat a Snicker or something, but we, we always had to make weight. Now I'm going to tell you the story about the Olympics, which you're going to, I think the people will really love because um, I went to the Olympics um to win a medal, um, although I nobody thought I could at you know 20, uh, 20 years of age or not within um, twenty five fights fighting all these guys who were so experienced who had hundreds of fights and boxed all their lives. Still, I believed that I could do it. And um, the the funniest thing was when you go to the Olympics, the first thing you do is what you just said. You want to walk out there on the Olympic when you when you the opening ceremony, you march and you wave to the world and everybody at the home sees you. Well, I didn't do that, Howie. I didn't do that. I had to fight the first night. So what I done was I had to, I had to watch my weight, I had to make weight. So I, I said I couldn't do it. I didn't want to get out there and be in the heat. I wanted to give my, my, uh, my body and myself every opportunity to win, my, to win my first fight. Well, I done that and I won my first fight. 
I won my second fight. I won my third fight. The judges said I won. And the first time in Olympic boxing history, the jury overturned my decision. Ooh, Red Zapovsky straight over the top. Fennec trying to line him up on the ropes. But the Yugoslavian moves away and gets back in the centre ring. Fennec goes out after him, gets a left into him there. Which meant then I was medalist. Yeah. When I won that fight, I had already automatically been given a bronze medal because in my next fight, win or lose, I get a bronze medal because there's two bronze medals in boxing. So what, what happened, Jeff? It was against the, the Yugoslavian. So they've given you the victory and then how do you get how do you get told they've taken it off you? Because I read this, but I didn't understand it. Here it comes. Blue corner has won it. Red Zambrem Zapovsky has moved into the semi-finals. Obviously, Fennec very disappointed, but he's uh, performed. It's crazy. The judges said I won. The judges judged the fight. But there was a jury. It was like a boys' club where they take an extra group of wankers who sit out there and they, they, they judge the fight also, but they judged it to, to my opponent. And um, so they overturned my decision, thinking they were... Um, Bigger people than the judges, so they overturned my decision, and um, so I lost that fight. So I lost, I lost. First of all, I lost the bronze medal. Then I lost the, the yeah. opportunity of fighting to to win the silver medal, and then to fight for the gold medal. The the, the person who I beat fought for the gold medal and lost on a, on a, a split decision. So I was I was there to 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 hopefully be in the final. I'm not saying I would have won, but I was there to be there. And then as that happened. So like I told you at the start, everybody wants to, to march. Everybody wants everybody in the world to see the march. I didn't do that because I wanted to win a medal for Australia. As soon as the fight was over, the next biggest and greatest thing at the Olympics is the after party. Uh, it's, it's amazing. Everybody's there. It's the most amazing party in the history of parties. So every athlete that's been says. But I, that, that night I went home. I cried my eyes out. I was upset. I'd done some interviews. And I went and jumped on a plane and went home the next day. I wasn't interested in... No after party. All I went there for, how he was to win a medal for Australia. Once they took that opportunity away from me, I went home. Of course I was upset, but I went home. So no march, no party. And the greatest thing that I ever said was just prior to getting on a plane, as I did an interview with Graham McNeese from Channel 10, I said, if they won't let me win a gold medal, I'm going to go home and I'm going to win a world title for Australia. That's the end of Jeff Fennick, part A. See you for part B. Listener.